The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Palm Springs, California. So glad you could be with me today, wherever you are in the world. I got another great show for you, and this show is featuring the incredible Dr. Joe Dispenza. Now, if you haven't heard of Dr. Joe before, well, you might want to go watch the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know?, where he talks about the power of the mind to literally create the life that you have always dreamt of. I also want to mention that Dr. Joe is on the cover of the June 1st, 2016 issue of Law of Attraction magazine, where he wrote a brilliant exclusive article called Mind in Your Medicine, and it's so powerful, one that will lead you into actually healing yourself. And before we bring out Dr. Joe, let's talk about the power of the mind and money. Many of my hypnosis clients tell me that they wish they could experience financial abundance. They speak of wealth as something that is far out of their reach, something that's not available to them and is reserved for just a special group of people. And they can recite a long list of reasons why they can't have what they hope for and what they think that they deserve. They don't realize that the only thing holding them back from achieving wealth is their own limited perceptions and beliefs. Even that special group of people that have already gained great success and wealth will often lose all of their money, not just once, but quite a few times. And it still goes back to their belief system as well. The truth is, if you want to attract prosperity and keep it, you must change your thoughts, your feelings, and actions in order to create a wealth consciousness. And this wealth consciousness is an awareness of the nature of abundance and its flow. When you think and feel like a millionaire, you can't help but to become one. That's because the mind doesn't distinguish between reality and what you're only imagining. If you experience a strong sense of abundance and wealth as you imagine yourself depositing a million dollar check in your bank account, you'll create the same vibration that you would as if you were actually depositing it. So to manifest wealth and abundance, you must believe that you already have that check in the bank and you must experience the happiness, the satisfaction, the feelings of safety and security, enthusiasm and generosity as if you already have that million bucks. You've got to feel it in order to achieve it. Now, many people who are new to the law of attraction often wonder why they simply can't just decide what they want, think really hard about it, and then just sit back and wait for it to manifest in their lives. Well, they simply don't understand that the law of attraction is based on energy. 
emotions are a form of energy that's much more powerful than just mere thoughts. And when you feel wealthy, you will be energizing and becoming very enthusiastic about generating money and opportunities for yourself. Quite simply, creating wealth just doesn't seem like work because you know what? It's too much fun. It is fun thinking about ways to generate money and opportunities. Now, I have mentioned many times on my show about prosperity consciousness. There are ancient stories about people who give away their very last coins to someone in need just because they felt it was the right thing to do. Then all of a sudden, they gain financially because of their generosity. When you give someone money, you're telling the universe that you are so abundant that there is no problem with you giving it away to someone else. The universe doesn't really reward you because of that. Instead, gives you more of what you gave out because you are vibrating that abundance, which is what the universe reads. Your frequency is that of wealth. And you can well afford to give to a homeless person a $20 bill to get a good meal. But what would happen if that homeless person took that $20 bill, split it in half, and gave $10 away? Well, you know what happens? Then the homeless person begins to raise their vibration to be very abundant. In other words, when you do this, there could be no poverty. One by one, we all raise our vibration to the wealth consciousness level. And what happens when you raise your wealth consciousness level? Let's talk about that. What if you don't have the money to pay for rent? Well, you're definitely living in the lack vibration. So the action step would be for you to jump into your future self that already has everything you need. What it means is you start scripting every morning and you start feeling as if you not only have this month's rent paid, but you have the next six months completely paid. And then you stop yourself and you feel how it feels. You allow your body to relax, the comfort to flow in. You feel safe and secure, financially capable to live life on your terms. In just a few seconds, you have shifted from the lack frequency to the wealth vibration. Every time you start worrying about money, you stop yourself and jump back into the feeling of having that six months of rent in your bank account. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And it is. Unfortunately, no one ever told us that we have the power over our emotions, that we can feel the lack and use that lack feeling as a motivator to shift us into the wealth vibration. Now, there are many people who just want to go out and buy that weekly lottery ticket. So let's examine this for a second. The reason why you want to buy that lottery ticket is because you are of the frequency that is saying, I want more. I need more. I want more material items. I need, I want. It doesn't say that you already have it. 
truthfully, you're perpetuating the fact that you are lacking money. But if you buy a ticket simply because you feel that the money is going to an education program for the students, then you are giving it out of a wealth frequency and you have completely detached from your intention of gaining wealth. Does that make sense? The mind and your thoughts go directly into your environment, just like a hologram. You have access to the most creative, powerful force in the world. Your mind and your desires are accelerated by the intensity of your emotions. You can create anything. As a matter of fact, you have it. If you go back and examine your life, you will see that you have created things out of thin air when you thought, Oh, wow, wouldn't that be so wonderful to have? And then you simply forgot about it. You detached from that desire. Then, all of a sudden, it pops up and you thought to yourself, Wow, I always wanted this. (laughs) It is so wonderful how that works. And you know what? This law of attraction stuff, oh, it's so much fun. It's just fun. If you're not having a good time with the law of attraction, let me tell you, you are doing it wrong. For some of you, it's going to be your first step in letting go of the way that you thought about money into feeling comfortable and knowing that you can create all the money you ever will need. So let's take a fast break and we'll be right back with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Did you know that every human uses only a small portion of their powerful mind? Jules Johnson, International Certified Hypnotherapist, wants to introduce you to your powerful mind in order to create your dream life. In as little as one session, Jules guides you into releasing limiting beliefs that keep you from achieving wealth, health, better relationships, and even true love. Schedule a session in Palm Springs or set up a Skype video session for those nationally and internationally. Jules would love to serve as your guide into living your dreams. Go to creativeguidedimagery.com or call 951-201-2166. That's creativeguidedimagery.com. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Heard by millions worldwide through 38 internet radio stations and in over 135 countries. Be sure to sign up for your monthly updates and get all the latest information on LOA radio events such as cruises, workshops, and seminars, as well as information on the latest shows, topics, and guests. Go to LOARadioNetwork.com and sign up today. Now let's talk to a wonderful chiropractor who now travels the world helping people to adjust their minds so that their minds will heal themselves. Let's welcome the phenomenal Dr. Joe Dispenza. Welcome Dr. Joe to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, I'm very happy to be with you, Jules. Let's talk about your really, really wonderful book and it's all about you are the placebo so in the past we've often heard of the placebo effect like if we believe an apple a day will keep the doctor away 
it will. But you are suggesting something much more powerful in your book, that we are actually the placebo. So how in the world can we be the placebo? Well, let's think about this. I mean, if you give someone a sugar pill, a saline injection, or you perform some fake procedure or sham surgery, a certain percentage of those people who receive an inert substance or a a false procedure will actually accept, believe, and surrender to that condition without any analysis, and they'll actually get better by taking something outside of them or receiving some external substance that mimics the exact drug. So how does that occur? If you're giving someone something that isn't really real, it's then the thought that they're getting better that actually creates the physiological change in their brain and body. So the question is, if you understand the mechanics and the scientific principles of how the placebo works, instead of the person believing in something outside of them, could they believe in the innate powers within them And could they begin to produce the same effects by trusting their belief in themselves and the belief in possibility than in some external substance? Because it really is the thought that's actually healing them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just wonderful? So, in fact, it's not really the chemo that is healing. It is actually our own beliefs and our thoughts that is creating that perhaps instant remission. Uh, yeah, I think that we, 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 there may be some element in which the chemo may actually work. I'm not disregarding that. But what I'm saying is, is that the people who aren't getting the chemo and told they're given the chemo and those people who are getting better, it's actually the inert substance isn't doing the healing. Their body is making their own pharmacy of chemicals Mm. that's actually matching the exact chemical they think they're taking. So then we have our own pharmacy within us, and if we learn how to execute the proper principles and tools of how the placebo works, then we can begin to get well faster and better. Ah, that's and that works just not on health, but in every area of our life. Absolutely. We've seen it. Well, it's the same principle. Uh, and, and it works with creating a life that you want. It also, create, it also is an element of creating the health that you'd like to experience. Mm. This is so exciting. So our thoughts are the placebo. Our thought is one of the key ingredients of the placebo. If you, it's, it's actually, if you think about how the placebo works, one element of how the placebo works is if you give someone something that's inert, uh, what they're really doing from a uh, mindful standpoint is that they're beginning to select the potential that exists in the quantum field called health or a vision or an idea of being well. And if they begin to experience an elevated emotion of enthusiasm or joy or excitement, when you combine a clear intention with an elevated emotion, you begin to change a person's physiology because it's that emotional quotient then that comes along with the thought that begins to reprogram the autonomic nervous system. And it's the autonomic nervous system that actually does the healing. 
So the person, say, with Parkinson's disease or the person with chronic pain or the person with depression has not been able to change their state by saying, okay, I'm going to make more serotonin in my brain or I'm going to produce my own particular uh, anti-inflammatories to reduce my pain levels or I'm going to produce my own dopamine levels. They can't voluntarily or consciously do it. But in the placebo response, when you see a person's pain levels diminish significantly or someone with depression all of a sudden not only have changes in their mind, but when they do scans of their brain, there's changes in their brain. It's not just in their mind, it's in their brain. And they're making extra serotonin and executing different functions in, in different parts of the brain or producing their own anti-inflammatories, then it's the autonomic nervous system that does that because they can't consciously do it. So then the question is, how do we begin to get into that system? Because once we're in that system, we can drop a seed in possibility. Mm, mm, mm. You're right. Now, I'm a hypnotherapist, so I always, with uh, people who come to me with depression... I always suggest that they are naturally making and producing the perfect amount of serotonin to keep them in a happy mode. This seems to work. Sure. I mean, let's talk about just the placebo response with depression. I mean, it's a scientific fact right now that three out of four people that are given a placebo and told they're giving an antidepressant, three out of those four people actually respond as if they were given the real antidepressant. So how does that work? I mean, even in certain cases, there have been people who have sworn that they actually received the proper medication. And they, they went to their doctor and said, no, no, you must have this wrong. I, I, I took the real medication. I didn't take the placebo. <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're producing very significant changes because the pill that they're taking every day, Jules, is a reminder to them about a possibility of health. Wow. And so the placebo becomes a daily reminder of their health. So if you don't believe in the pill then, and you say, okay, if, if I marry a clear intention with an elevated emotion, intention is a thoughtful process, and an elevated emotion is a bodily process. In other words, thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates a state of being, then can you create a state of being every single day by just doing it without any external substance and be able to take that placebo every day by changing your state of being? The answer is absolutely yes, because if you keep regulating those states on a daily basis, just like the placebo, the autonomic nervous system begins to alter bodily functions. Wow. So we have to use some techniques to actually train our brain to produce this. Is that correct? In a way, yes. I mean, uh, the techniques that we use in the workshops, and that's in the new book, You Are the Placebo, mm -hmm. the techniques that we use, we primarily use the meditation model. Now, not in the traditional sense of sitting there and focusing on nothing or stilling your mind, but really teaching people how to alter their physiological functions by getting beyond their analytical mind. Now, why is it important to get beyond the analytical mind? Well, if you're a hypnotherapist, you know this better than anybody. Yeah. What separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. And 
<laughs> if you're highly analytical, then you're less suggestible. In other words, the more analytical you are, the less open you are to thoughtful suggestions. The, the less analytical you are, the more suggestible you are to possibility. So the purpose of meditation is to get beyond the analytical mind. And when you get beyond the analytical mind and you change your brainwave patterns, now you're entering into the, the programming system, the operating system, where true change can take place. So part of the skill is being able to change your internal states and regulate your brainwaves. And when you do that, you're more suggestible to the thoughts that you're thinking. Now, this is also an interesting concept because in the research that we've done, for the most part, people are only suggestible to the thoughts that they think that are equal to the emotional state that they're in. A person mm -hmm. who's feeling depression or a person who's feeling unworthy will only accept, believe, and surrender to the thoughts equal to that emotional state. They'll, they'll believe in the thoughts of, uh, that are driven by the emotion of depression or unworthiness because it's those emotional states that activate certain circuits neurologically in the brain, which then produces more emotions to feel depressed or unworthy, which then creates more thoughts, and we get caught in these loops. By the same means, if a person is in a state of gratitude, if a person is in a state of inspiration, they're more prone to accept the thoughts equal to those emotional states. Mm -hmm. And the antithesis is also true. A person who's depressed cannot accept the thoughts of abundance, cannot accept the thoughts of possibility, because those thoughts aren't equal to the emotional state. So teaching people how to begin to open their heart and begin to teach them how to, to change their emotional states then allows them to capture streams of consciousness or create future visions that are equal to that emotional state. And the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. So as we begin to practice this every single day, we fire and wire the networks of neurons that create a new level of mind. And if you're able to reproduce that same level of mind every day, it'll begin to become familiar to you. And if you're able to cultivate the emotional state of joy or inspiration or gratitude before the event has occurred, then you're more prone to condition your body to begin to believe that that future reality is happening to you in the present moment and your body is the unconscious mind, will begin to believe it's in that future reality and you'll begin to signal new genes in new ways. Now, the key then is that elevated emotion then becomes the catalyst. So most people will wait for their, you know, their wealth to show up to feel abundant or... Uh -huh. Right. Their, their healing to occur to feel wholeness and vitality or their, their new relationship to show up to feel love or uh, a mystical experience to feel awe or to become successful to feel empowered. Well, that's the old model of reality, of cause and effect. You know, waiting for something outside of us to change how we feel inside of us. And when we can correlate the change that we feel inside of us to whatever caused it or whoever caused it outside of us, that event in and of itself is a memory. We begin to become more dependent on that external substance. But the quantum model of reality, this model, is saying we want a cause and effect. So then you have to then begin to feel abundant before the experience actually occurs and to teach your body emotionally what that future event is going to feel like. To, to begin to feel love before your relationship, to feel empowered before your success, to feel wholeness before you're healed. And that's the exact ingredient that allows a person then 
to reach that state where their body is beginning to experience that future reality in the present moment, and they're really turning on new genes for health and, and the immune system for growth and turning off the genes that have to do with the stress response and, and the inflammation. Oh, my goodness. You are just specifying and confirming everything about the law of attraction. What you are speaking as of is the law of attraction. Yeah, well, it's a principle that, that you can call it the law of attraction. You can call it the quantum model of reality. But this is where people actually get stuck with the law of attraction because I have answered thousands of questions about this in seminars and conferences. And people really want to wait for their wealth to show up and they're frustrated mm. because their wealth hasn't showed up. And, and I always say to them, well, here's a great example. I was in Los Angeles and I'm getting ready to start a talk and this woman comes marching up to me and says, how come I'm not living in Santa Fe, New Mexico? And I just took a look at her and I said, because the personality who's living in Santa Fe, New Mexico looks nothing like that. <laughs> the truth is that if you're busy being it, you, you don't, you can't, the moment you start analyzing why it hasn't happened, you just return back to the old self. The new self would never think that way. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. I love how you put that. It's so simplistic the way you said it and it, it, it just makes so much sense. So let's go with the overall health again. And are you saying then that if we have aches and pains in our body, say a lower back ache or, or a neck ache or something like that, is that a hint as to what is going on emotionally in our body? Well, I would say that the majority of the time, if there hasn't been some physical trauma, like you haven't been hit by a car, you didn't lift up, a, you lift up a you know a, a huge barrel and put it in the back of your truck. But if you are all of a sudden starting to experience, let's just say neck pain. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, "Oh, I have neck pain. I think I slept wrong." And I say to them, "Really? Um, are you sleeping with a new pillow?" No. Are you in a new bed? No. Are you sleeping with somebody new? No. Okay, well, what have you been doing for the last three months? Well, I filed bankruptcy, <laughs> bitches for a living. My mother's in the hospital with cancer. Um, I'm getting a divorce. Oh, yeah, yeah, you slept wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> really, if you look at a person's emotional state. Now, let's talk about what we're talking about here because... I'm talking about the stress hormones of survival. Right. When we react to something or someone in our life, stress, by the way, is when your body's knocked out of homeostasis. The stress response is what your body innately does to return itself back to order. So we have different types of stress. We have physical stress like trauma, injuries, accidents. We have chemical stress like viruses and bacteria and heavy metals and food and, and uh, hangovers and blood sugar levels. And we have... We have emotional stress like traffic jams and internet connections and second mortgages and single parenting and family tragedies and all of those things knock the brain and body out of balance. Now all organisms in nature can tolerate short-term stress. Zebra gets chased by the lion, the zebra outruns the lion, 15 minutes later it goes back to uh, grazing and the event is over. But when the zebra perceives a threat that, the, uh, that there's a predator the zebra turns on that fight-or-flight nervous system, and the purpose of that nervous system 
is to mobilize enormous amounts of energy for some threat in their external environment. If you get, if you get cut off on the freeway, you jam on your brakes, that's a stress response. But more than likely, most integrated people, about 30 minutes later, can get back to a balance again. The problem is, is then we turn on the stress response and we can't turn it off, now the body begins to break down because no organism in nature can tolerate the effects of long-term stress. You can't live in emergency mode for an extended period of time because if you do and you keep mobilizing all of that energy for a threat in your external environment, there's no energy in your internal environment for growth and repair. So then the body begins to break down. So then the problem with human beings is that we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems. We can imagine some future worst-case scenario. We can remember some past event. And we can knock our body out of physiological balance just by thinking certain ways. So then when we turn on that effect and the body's living in emergency mode, then it is our own thoughts then that begin to make us sick because the hormones of stress long-term dysregulate and downregulate genes that create disease. So in the example of someone who has neck pain or back pain, I would suggest to them if there was no trauma, that more than likely that person is out of balance and they're mobilizing a lot of adrenaline, but there's no predator around the corner. There's no angry tribe that's getting ready to attack. They're actually turning on that response and their body is believing that there's some type of external threat and if you keep activating that particular set of chemicals then the adrenals are putting out liquid energy and if you're not fighting and you're not running that liquid energy makes its way into the tissues and hardens tissues Mm. and really it causes physical contraction in the body so I think that uh, the research shows that nine out of ten people that walk into a healthcare facility in the Western world walk in there because a, a psychological or emotional stress disorder. Wow. Wow. And when people start feeling the stress, that's when they need to start doing the meditation that's in their book in your book to show people how they can get back into harmony. Yeah, let's talk about that, too, because this is kind of a funny thing. The, the hormones of stress are highly addictive. Mm. It's, they're, they're like a triple cappuccino. You know, they are they're liquid energy that wake the brain and body up short term. So we get a rush of adrenaline and we feel alive. So we begin to associate the problems and conditions in our life to reaffirm our emotional addiction to remember who we think we are as a somebody, you know, the bad relationship, the, the bad job, all of that is to reaffirm that emotion so that we can keep feeling something because God forbid we don't feel anything. So now if you can turn on a stress response by thought alone and those chemicals are addictive, we become addicted to our own thoughts. So in that situation, we put all of our attention on our external environment. Why? Because there's a predator out there. There's a stress out there, and you've got to heighten your senses to pay attention. So then the idea of going within and closing your eyes, for most people who are addicted, it doesn't feel right because why would you close your eyes? There's something out there that could be potentially dangerous because that's where your attention is. But if you're able to then dissociate from your external environment, if you're able to get beyond the addictions and habituations of your body and for a moment lose track of time, 
over and over again, we see that people's brains begin to recalibrate and their body moves back to homeostasis. So the inward process then is a retreat from your life long enough to change your internal states and shorten the, res- uh, the stress response. And that's called emotional intelligence and meditation and the, and the work that we do. And even the, even the meditation in the You Are the Placebo is a great way for people to regulate those states. You know, what I loved about your book, too, is that you actually give a section that if people want to record it for themselves, I think that was very cool because it really gets allows someone to to experience what exactly you are saying. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you hear your voice long enough, it becomes the new voice in your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to look at it like that. But that is... Um, so important. What What is science saying about placebo? Are they still poo-pooing it, or is it now becoming recognized in the medical field? Well, no, I think most medical physicians will, will give a certain credence to the placebo response, and I think that uh, they, they're hopeful about that because the research shows when a doctor's enthusiastic, for example, uh, about a new medication, and she prescribes that medication, uh, patients will respond better. If the doctor has a command of the space and is very confident in what they're doing and they're considered an expert, that person will accept, believe, and surrender to the doctor's expertise without any analysis. Right. But when you start looking at pharmaceutical companies, they don't really like the idea of the placebo too much because uh, they won't publish some of the studies that have to do with the the effects of the placebo because it's almost too much. It makes the drug look not as effective. <laughs> That's so, right. And they lose they lose profits from it. So so um, so you know it's uh, I think it's a real thing at this point. There's double blind and triple blind studies now because the power of the mind is that important. They know the placebo works really well with pain. They know it works well with certain uh, um, immune mediated conditions. Uh, but I'm pushing the envelope of it because I think that once you understand the mechanics and you can really teach people how to do it, you can begin to uh, make very significant changes in their health and in their life. I agree. And if I'm not a big believer in pharmaceuticals because I see that sometimes the symptoms of a pill is often worse than the what they're trying to correct. I to me, it would be worthwhile for the pharmaceuticals to go ahead and charge and then make them sugar pills. <laughs> well, you know, as I say in the introduction of my book, I really don't want to get into the ethics behind that because I'm certain 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 people who don't respond to the placebo would say, I needed the real medication. So it creates True. a huge, huge liability issue. So um, it, it becomes challenging. But here's the key. I mean, this is what I tell people. You know, the important aspect of all of this is, to, to, is not denial. Like if you're diagnosed with a condition, that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at the, the fact that you have the condition. You, you have to look at the condition. You have to get measurements. And then you have to go about your journey in creating, look, if there's three types of stress, physical, chemical, and emotional, then there's three types of balance, physical, chemical, and emotional. And you may have to create a regime for yourself by doing your inward work and changing your internal states. And you may want to, 
you know, consume less food, I don't know, for more chemical balance. So more energy goes for growth and repair. You may want to, you know, retreat from your life for a week so you're not reacting to the same people in the same way. You, you know, you may want to, um, you know, do uh, some physical exercise to help create more balance. And so, and if you, and if you're, you know, if you're doing the process, and we tell our, we have a lot of students that have healed themselves of all kinds of things, but we tell them to be prudent and to be wise. And three months later, pick a measurement. And if that measurement shows you're getting better, keep doing what you're doing because it's working. But if the measurement shows you're not getting better, then we got to go back and we got to begin to make some other choices. And that's called science, and it's practical in that way. Okay, so you're saying it takes the triangle to really bring balance back into your life and we need to look at all three areas to bring balance in. I love that. I love that. What are um, some of the uh, things that you've seen that are really amazing about perhaps individual case histories? Oh, gosh, I can talk for hours about this. I'll tell you a story of a woman that I just, uh, well, I just came back from Amsterdam, and, and I was in Barcelona uh, a couple months ago, and I was walking off the stage, and this woman came up to me and handed me an envelope. And we were on a break, and I went into the green room, and I read it. And the uh, story goes something like this. This woman was, uh, well, is a, uh, a psychotherapist and um, very intelligent lady, and she was living her life. And uh, she has two children, and she was in the shower one Sunday morning, and her husband said goodbye to the children, never said goodbye to her. Uh, went to the tallest building in Amsterdam and jumped off the building and committed suicide. Ooh. Now, that's a very stressful situation. And the hormones of stress began to turn on, and she was shocked, and she was angry, and she was saddened, and she was victimized, and she was resentful and frustrated. And the refractory period of those hormones, right, the hormones of stress, because every time she thought about the event, she was producing the same chemistry in her brain and body jewels as if the event was happening. And the body is the unconscious mind was being programmed into the past because emotions are the record of the past. So over time, the more she talked about it to other people and the more people in her life treated her a certain way, then she was reaffirming a certain personality, a certain identity. And the, the emotional reaction lasted for hours and days, and it turned into a mood, and then it started lasting for weeks or months, and it turned into a temperament. And now she had one long emotional reaction that was going on from some event that happened, say, five, six months ago. The effects of that was producing the stress hormones, and her body was living in emergency mode. And as you know, as we said, no organism can tolerate those type of effects, and the strong chemicals were so addictive that she couldn't think greater than how she felt. In other words, feelings became the means of thinking. And for the most part, if you're thinking equal to how you feel, you can only think in the past. So her mind was wrapped around that event. A very short amount of time, she developed a, what the doctors called neuritis because one morning she woke up and she couldn't move. She couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't move her legs. She couldn't move her waist. She had no movement in her uh, 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 from the waist down. Wow. And um, so they rush her to the hospital. They do all these tests. They can't find anything wrong with her. But for the most part, they call it neuritis, which means you have inflammation of your nerves. But let's think about this. 
Your body's your unconscious mind, and if you're living by those heightened emotions, of course the body is going to be strained because it's going to believe it's in the past, and it's facing the same conditions 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. The body's reliving the event every single day. So imagine living a suicide or a shocking event like that every single day. The body sooner or later is going to quit. It's going to be in extreme pain. So... They don't know how to treat her, so they, they send her home. And uh, a few months later now, the stress response now is going on for about a year. She starts developing very large uh, lesions, uh, ulcerations in all the mucous membranes of her body, in her mouth, in her esophagus, in her vagina, in her anus, in her bladder, these huge scabs, these huge ulcerations, bigger than a quarter. So now she can't eat. Now the stress is getting more because she can't work. She lost her job. Now she has no money. She can't take care of her two children. Her mother's taking care of her and supporting her. And she can't move now. And now she's got all these ulcerations. And now she's in more stress. In a very short amount of time, she develops esophageal cancer. Now the lesions turn into cancer. So now she's got a very serious health condition. And she thinks, you know, that her life is about to end. So she came to a workshop that we had done uh, a year, about a year and a half ago in Holland. And I remember when she showed up because she was on crutches and they were, they were bringing her in. And um, she started to understand the concepts that we were talking about. And, and she understood that it was, it was her emotions that really, the mismanagement of her emotions that began to really activate the genes in the wrong way that created her diseases. And so she started doing the meditation. She started taking the placebo every day. And she made a deal with herself that she was not going to get up from her meditations until she was in love with life. Now, here's the key. The key is she had no reason to be in love with life. She had no job. She lost her husband. She couldn't take care of her kids. She was sick. She had no reason to be in love with life, but she made a deal with herself that she was going to get beyond her emotional body, get beyond her emotional self, and every single day she was going to get up from her meditations or finish her meditation in the state of joy for existence. So she left uh, that event and practiced her meditations, and then she came to a, a more advanced progressive workshop in New York. She flew in. And that particular group, I pushed them past where they normally would go because I believe that right on the other side of her anger is joy. Right on the other side of her resentment is freedom. Right on the other side of her fear is really courage. And when we push people beyond that particular state, that's when we do the uncommon. So I pushed this group, and she had a breakthrough in that event, and she actually saw very clearly in her mind, like she had a vision. She didn't create the vision. The vision happened to her. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but she had this vision that she would be standing in front of an audience telling a story about her healing. So she went home, and she continued practicing every single day. She never missed a day for another nine months or so or ten months. Every day, taking the placebo and changing her state of being with a clear intention and an elevated emotion, signaling the gene over and over again. In other words... The amplitude of the event that created the disease, the suicide, was such a strong amplitude of emotion, of energy, that she either had to create 
an amplitude of energy that was greater than that experience internally, where she had to consistently knock on the genetic door until she finally reprogrammed the gene. So she came to that event in Barcelona, <clears throat> and she was cancer-free. Wow. She had no ulcerations any longer in any of her mucous membranes. She had the scope done just a few days before she came. And she had no pain in her body, no neuritis. Of course, she's working again as with a new job doing psychotherapy, of course, from a very different point of view. And she said, and I'm married, and I have a new husband, and I'm in love with him, and my life is so amazing. I'm in love with my life. And I said to her, you get to be in love with your life because every day you created from the place of being in love with your life. Wow. <laughs> wow. How profound. So that's just one story, but, uh, you know, there's many, many people that have done the same thing. Give us another story. That is amazing. <laughs> I love it. That really tells everyone exactly how important this subject is and how important your book is. So give us another uh case history. Sure. Uh, here's another one off the top of my head. We had a woman after I did What the Bleep, uh, I did the movie What the Bleep, I was in a, a retreat center in New York and I was about ready to, to do a, a little workshop. And this woman came and sat at my dinner table as I, just before I was going to start the event and she was in a walker and um, she was a young woman, you know, probably in her early 30s and, uh, you know, healthy looking uh, and she kind of confronted me and said, I have a very serious bone disease. And um, the doctors told me I will never be able to change this and I'm going to be living like this the rest of my life. And I want to know if you can help me. And I said, well, uh, theoretically it's possible to turn that around. I said, but listen, genetic conditions that are early onset are a little bit more hardwired than ones that we accumulate later on in life through lifestyle and behaviors. But it's possible. So I showed up at another retreat center in the Bahamas, and there she was again with her walker, and uh, came and listened to me speak. I was speaking in the evenings every night, and she wound up coming to one of our workshops and really started to embrace the concepts. Now, this woman, uh, when she was a child, had an abusive father, and her father was very violent, and he was physically uh, uh, um, abusive with his children. And so a lot of the children lived in a constant state of vigilance and fear. And when children are young, their brainwave patterns, from a brainwave standpoint, they spend the first six years of their life in delta and theta, which means their subconscious mind is completely open to information. So from the age of 6 to 12, our brainwaves are in alpha, and we're in that imaginary world, and we're highly impressionable. So she had some very strong experiences that branded her emotionally that made her vulnerable, that made her feel weak, that made her feel fear, and for the most part, and to, to try to control her life. And as she got a little older in her adolescence, she developed a condition called polycystic fibrodysplasia. Now, that's a genetic condition, and what happens in that condition is that the protein scaffolding of the bones tends to break down. Now, Cells make proteins, your body's a protein-producing machine. In order for a cell to make a protein, a gene has to be turned on. So in some way, the wrong gene was switched on that began to create weakness 
and vulnerability in her bones. And so when she was a teenager, she limped around for a year thinking she had some type of injury, only to find out that her femoral head had been fractured because the protein in the bone was so weak that it couldn't support her body weight. Over the course of the next several years, she had 17, 12 or 17 fractures in that femur. Wow. And the doctors told her, look, we have to put a pin in there, put a pin in there. She had all these different opinions and some of the greatest surgeons and specialists in New York. They told her that, that the pin in there would help to stabilize the fractures. But one specialist said, if you put that pin in there, it's going to create stability in the area of the fracture, but the area below is going to break because it's going to just move. So she went for years needing special attention she needed her own uh, 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 specific care. She walked around either in a walker or a wheelchair or with uh, crutches. And the smallest weight on her leg was enough to fracture her bone. So she tried all types of nutritional therapies. She tried all different types of uh, pharmaceuticals. She even tried to push through it. And, of course, none of that worked. And so she started doing the workshops with us, and for a year, uh, she was in the dark night of the soul because uh, she had to really get beyond her identity that was connected to that disease. Of course, if you need special attention and you're a young, attractive woman, it doesn't look like anything's wrong with you. Not a lot of people believe you. And of course, she was always trying to control her reality because of that. Somewhere about a year or so ago, she started to break through. And I started to notice now that she wasn't so frustrated and so angry, that she was kind of a little bit of a skip in her step, and she was interacting with other people. And I saw one day that she was walking with a cane, and then three months later she came to another event, and I saw that she wasn't walking with any cane. And so um, she went to the doctor, and they did an uh, X-ray and a scan of her femur where all those fractures existed. And the first time they did the scan, they said, more than 50% of any evidence of ever having a fracture in your leg has been removed. It doesn't even look like you've ever had a fracture in there. Well, that went on, and she went back for another scan, and then, of course, they said, wow, it doesn't look like you've ever had a fracture in your femur. It looks doesn't look like there's ever been a break in there. Now, she started to signal the new genes, and the body started making new proteins, and she got quite a significant amount of repair in there. And she came to an advanced workshop, Jules, and just before the advanced workshop, she went to her doctor, and the enzyme for the disease was very elevated. So the doctor said, look, you're, the disease is coming back, and um, you need all these types of therapies, and be careful, and you know, you're going to get sick again. And she, you know, it was really shocking to her, and she came up to me, and she said, I don't understand how this could possibly be. I thought I was better, and I said, listen, your body lives in the past. It's still got to catch up. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And it took her a few months to kind of get centered again, but she started again and she started doing her meditations and she did it with a lot of passion. And now here's the key element. She reached such a point for herself where she had gotten beyond so many layers of her emotions that were really activated when she was young way back in deep in the subconscious, she got to a point where she was so happy with herself. She was so whole with who she was. She was so 
gr- gra- you know, thankful in the state of gratitude mm-hmm. of her own personal transformation, that she was really happy for no reason, that she didn't even really care if she had the disease any longer. So she went to Mount Sinai Hospital for her, evalu- for her blood test and urine test. She walked in there. She was just thankful. She didn't even really care. She peed in the cup. She had her dr- a blood drawn. And uh, two weeks later, they called her up and said, you are completely normal. There's no evidence of this genetic disease existing for you any longer. Wow. Now, if you talk to this woman today, she's beautiful. She's well-adjusted. She has great relationships. She's walking now unencumbered in any way. And I said to her, I said, what have you learned from your disease? Now, if you don't overcome something, of course, it's the It's the burden that you carry. But if you overcome it, then it becomes your greatest teacher. And she said, my disease, that condition, was my greatest teacher. It taught me so much about myself. And there were days that she didn't feel like doing her meditations. There were days that she doubted that she would make a difference. There were days that she felt unworthy. And there were days that she didn't think that she'd ever get any better. But she continued doing it in spite of it. And that then creates this state, what I call self-love. Because when you pick, choose yourself every single day like that enough times, the side effect of that is you begin to break free from the chains of those emotional addictions that keep you anchored to the past. When that occurs, the body settles into the present moment. And when we're whole in the present moment and connected to some future, that's when the event finds us. Wow. That is so wonderful. I love this. Now, can can your body, through your mind, stimulate existing stem cells to get you in a healthier mode or to actually rejuvenate you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Stem cells are just potentials. They're clay. They're waiting to be molded. A stem cell can turn into a muscle cell. It can turn into an immune cell. It can turn into a nerve cell. And it can take on the morphogenesis of that particular cell. It can mutate into that cell to then begin to create healthy balance. We had a person that came to our event uh, in, in February. and He's battling cancer. And he should have been dead years ago. And he's still continuing on. And he walked in. Uh, before he left for his event, he had a blood cell count taken, and his blood cell count, white blood cell count, was zero. And his doctor said to him, do not get on that plane to fly to Phoenix, because if you get an infection, you have no white blood cells to combat that uh, internal uh, infection. Well, he came to the event. He went through four days of our training. And he really fell in love with himself and fell in love with his life and really saw possibility. And he walked back into that doctor's office six days later, and he had 40,000 white blood cells. Oh, my goodness. The doctor just about fell off the chair, and he said, what happened? He said, listen, uh, I moved into an elevated state of being, and I activated stem cells to morph into white blood cells. And in a state of growth and repair, I'm flourishing now, and my body's responding to my mind. Now, what's the doctor going to say to him? No, there's evidence there that he's actually done it, and it was stem cells that began to mutate, waiting for the right instructions, the right instructions to begin to uh, make the proper uh, cells to support growth. 
Wow. That is so wonderful. You know, we're almost out of time, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, of course, we want everybody to, to read this book because they're going to get such great insight into being this or to have this elevated state of being. I, I think this is so important. So we want people to go to uh, your website to get You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. Great. And to get to your site, they just go to drjoedispenza.com. That's drjoedispenza.com. And um, they can find locations and they can purchase this book. I highly recommend it. And um, I just can't say enough wonderful things about Dr. Joe. He is such a blessing to this world. What would we do without you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope I'm contributing in some way. Oh, you are. It's just wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe, for coming on our show today. Thank you, honey, and keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Oh, my goodness, wasn't that a wonderful show? Really thought-provoking, isn't it? It's amazing, the power of our mind. Please don't forget how incredibly magnificent you are, how powerful you are. Don't let anybody say anything different. You know the truth. And that's what you came here right now on this planet right now to learn. You are powerful and you are the only one that can create your reality. Wow. So I look forward to talking with you again next week. Have a great one. Bye-bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.